Welcome to Greycast, exploring the world of Greyhawk one podcast at a time. This podcast is all about bringing the classic world of Greyhawk setting to life through Greyhawk creators, Greyhawk lore, Greyhawk streamers, Greyhawk stories, and of course the vibrant Greyhawk community of gamers. Thank you for tuning in and let the exploration of Dungeons & Dragons' most classic and revered setting, the world of Greyhawk, begin now. Hello, Greyhawk fans. Welcome to another exciting podcast of Greycast, the only podcast we're aware of that is dedicated to the original setting of Greyhawk. I'm Matthias. Wiley Hobbit is off tonight, uh, so I'm flying solo. We'll see if um, the episode can get the worst ratings uh, in our list. Um, with me today is the infamous Pluffet Smedger. It is Gary Hollian. Uh, Gary, welcome to Greycast. Well, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Finally, I have been listening to your uh, series and it's it's an amazing uh, production i think well, definitely a valuable uh, resource to the community well that, that thank you that's that's high praise coming from gary so gary every time we have a new uh a new i was going to say contestant but you're not getting a prize um <laughs> uh, a new guest on the program we like to hear your D and D story. How did you start in D and D, and when did you find Greyhawk? Yeah, I think mine is pretty vanilla. Uh, probably similar to other people. You know, I had a friend who had the basic set, and uh, we, we went over his house and played it, and just had a riot of a time. We, you know, just didn't even want to go to bed. We were just playing all all night long, and so I said, I have to get one of these for myself, and. I was about 10 years old and I went to Toys R Us and I picked it up. <laughs> and then I picked up uh, another thing that was on sale that was like a, a box that was colored gold. And I said, oh, this is really interesting. I And, and it wasn't shrink wrapped, it was already open. And it turns out when I got home, I, I didn't realize, but the maps were missing. Oh. And so my first Greyhawk box set had no Darlene map, which is <laughs> quite a tragedy when you think about how important that map is to the development of the setting and how people perceive it. Um, so I and it was for Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and I was a ten-year-old kid, and I thought, well, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, I'm not ready for that yet. I still got to play Basic. So, <laughs> you know, my... which which Basic was it? Was it Moldvay Basic or or Frank Menser Basic? So it was the one that was bundled with Keep on the Borderlands. Um, Moldvay Basic. Moldvay Basic. And um, it was, uh, it had dice with the, uh, the 
the crayon to color in. Oh, and very nice. Yes, it was classic. And so my sisters and I rolled up characters and we started playing on a Friday night and sometime around Saturday at noon. <laughs> we stopped and we just, it was just a riot. You know, we just had so much fun doing it. And from then on, I, you know, I'd play with some friends from um, school. And uh, at one point I said, you know, why don't we start picking up this, these advanced Dungeons and Dragons products and get the player's handbook and roll up new characters for that. And I turned back to that, that gold box set that I'd bought some months earlier and started reading through it. And I was like instantly in love with it. I was like, this is like, reading you know history in the library it just had that feel of something ancient That's and it. and also the feeling that there maybe there was a greater story behind it that we just weren't aware of but that would be revealed to us over time and you know i and ended up picking up another copy with the maps of course <laughs> and um you know we we started to explore it and and ran a campaign for four years in high school. And at that point, I kind of left it aside for a little while because, you know, I, I got to college, I went to MIT and there, gaming was big, but I just really didn't have the time for it. So I kind of set it aside for a couple of years. And then when I felt a little more comfortable, I started to poke around online and say, you know, what is there? What is there for D&D online? Because while uh, the web hadn't really been invented yet, I think Mosaic, the browser came out in 93, so it was a pretty raw thing. Uh, there were Usenet groups nice. and FTP servers and email, of course. So when I look, when I found that there was a news group devoted just to D&D, I said, okay, this is exactly what I where I want to be. And within months of joining that group and reading their log, we discovered that uh, TSR had canceled Greyhawk as a setting. <laughs> so you could imagine i mean it was an uproar people were just really upset because it felt like sergeant had really turned a corner for greyhawk had really put it back on the map as a serious setting and further they had uh given us the impression that they were going to uh sandbag a book that was finished and weren't going to release it <laughs> and that would be ivid the undying that would right? be ivid the undying that's right, right. So there was a big clamor. People wrote letters. I mean, uh, some of them were printed, I think, in Dragon. Um, I wrote one that was kind of an open letter that was kind of a little outraged about how we were being treated as Greyhawk fans. And so a lot of fans, I mean, it, it was such a shock at the time. This was like ground zero for Greyhawk online fandom. There was really nothing before that. We knew there was a service um, called Genie by the by the GE company that was like a dial-up service that TSR had done something with in the late 80s and early 90s. But as far as we know, that might have been just a kind of a a one-way communication from the company to to certain fans who had access to that. We're not we don't think that any material was created there. But at this point, we had decided, well, if we're never going to get the answer to some of these questions, uh, we're going to start posting our own. <laughs> and so that's what we did. We created something called the Greyhawk Netbook. So that is the precursor to what became the Orth Journal. It's uh, netbooks are sort of uh, they were a thing online for a while. They were collections of posts that were turned into, and not even a PDF because the PDF didn't really exist. It was something like a doc file that just had a collection of posts. And uh, this one was started for Greyhawk. So. 
ground zero around 94, that's where we started really organizing as fans. What kind of things did you discuss in this netbook? And is it still collecting dust somewhere online? Yeah, I, I still remember the guy who was the uh, the admin for it. He was Peter Selkin. And I remember he was, like all of us, you know, kind of, he was really jazzed to do it and really excited. So he was soliciting articles from everybody who had an interest in Greyhawk. And I kind of responded to one of those solicitations and said, hey, I, I'd love to help you out with it. And so he said, well, why don't you help me edit it? And so I started reading some of the submissions. <laughs> And uh, one of the ones that I was reading was sort of a, a fan-made history of Zagig. <laughs> and when I read it, I start, I mean, I, I took such a red pen to it. I was like, no, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. And I was like, well, why am I why am I doing this when I should just write my write my own? So I don't know who I don't even remember the guy who I had edited, but I I didn't give him I didn't give him the feedback. I, I was like, that's just gonna be too rude. So I just said, I'm just going to write my own timeline of and history of Zagig and uh, look through all the sources and put it together and footnoted it. And it was like the first uh, piece I had done online. And uh, it was uh, widely distributed and I got a little bit of, you know, a lot of feedback for it, I thought. And uh, we ended up, I think, putting it in the netbook. I, I don't, the netbook was a one-off. So uh these were like really chaotic times so at, at the same time this was happening people were setting up ftp servers where they were uploading copies of these things and they were typically at universities like mit and stanford and michigan and so uh there was a sense in which tsr was really uh really against all this i mean they felt like even fans sharing their own ideas was kind of against their copyrights and trademarks and so they they were pretty tough they try you know they tried to uh, stamp it out um and uh so for that reason i started a mailing list at the time uh in 94 called gray talk nice so that was like the first non-public fan group for greyhawk so and it's next year will be its 30th anniversary so we should 30th? 30th, 30th anniversary. anniversary. Wow. So it's 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 1994. It's the height of second edition, if I if my math is correct. That's right. Um, your um, you have a mailing list for for the millennials listening or mm -hmm. younger Gen Z. Describe a mailing list. How does that work? Right, so mailing list is like an alias. So it, it was graytalk at mit.edu. And then the software that managed the mailing list would let people subscribe to it. So you would send you would send that address a subscribe request and it would confirm it back to you. And then you would get every mail posted by someone to that list back at you. And you could also receive it in digest form. So a digest would cut off at like 100 emails and send you a big you know, a uh, collection of them and you'd be able to read it, you know, more leisurely. Um, by the way, there were days in the 95, 96, 97 era where three digests were sent a day, <laughs> like almost 300 messages. But uh, that first year, you know, it was very, very small group. And one of the first people who signed up was a guy named Eric Mona. 
Nice. <laughs> he was a student just like me, an undergrad at Emerson across the river from MIT. And uh, he was really excited to talk about Greyhawk stuff, as were we all. But uh, we were different guys back then than we are now. <laughs> and you, as you could imagine, <laughs> people were very interested in imposing or creating solutions to problems and having them shared and agreed with by the entire community, right? <laughs> so we we felt like there were never going to be any answers. You know, who were the nine demigods imprisoned under Castle Greyhawk? Who knows? But um, but we started sharing, and you know, we didn't even have the we didn't even understand the concept of memeing yet. That wasn't really in the zeitgeist. But that's essentially what we were doing. We're creating little bits of Greyhawk lore that people tended to agree with. So. I, for instance, coined the term twin cataclysms. And I used it and I used it and I used it until everybody started using it. So once it's published in the Living Greyhawk as a tier, then it's, you know, canon essentially. But things like that, or, you know, we would have arguments about um, different NPCs from Gary's campaign. Who, what were they like? What were their real alignments? Things like that. Um, the novels were widely discussed. Eric was a, quite the expert on the novels. Um, and then uh, at some point we got big enough that we started to get members who were actual industry vets. So there was a time when Gary Gygax, Roger Moore, Sean Reynolds, Koontz were all on the mailing list and sharing their recollections and ideas with regular fans. And so since this is a mailing list, uh, are there archives out there where you can go back to the beginning of Grey Talk and start reading or uh, highlights of the best emails and conversations? Well, Matt, I tell you there should be, but <laughs> laying our hands on it is go is going to be an issue. So you know Alan Groey in the community, right? Yep. So Alan, he was helping uh, maintain a database of at least the later years of the post, which still mm. constituted the bulk of it. Uh, I think the archive of the first year, I may only have a copy of that. And it's on an old computer that I'm not even, I'm not even sure will boot. So I'm gonna have to do some kind of <laughs> archival retrieval for that. Um, Computational, um, um, oh, what's the word? Um, you're gonna when you raise the undead. Why am I not thinking of the word? It's nine o'clock at night, and that's why. Um, <laughs> yes, well, we'll have to do some necromancy on it. Necromancy, computational necromancy. That's the word. There you go. So, you know, so this is this is yeah. So, so this is old old stuff. Um, yeah. Now there are some. I don't know if this is related, but there are of all places when I do. Greyhawk searches on Google. I, I sometimes am sent to the vault of Pandeus. Um, and, and I see, uh, which mm -hmm. is the Mistara site and, and they have an archive. It looks like text format of some emails, conversation, something. And I see in there some same of the, of the same names that I, I see in our current, um, uh, great talk. I, is that connected to this at all, or is that a completely different beast? Well, it definitely had its own origin story and its own 
through line, but uh, there's definitely a lot of overlap. A lot of people who are Greyhawk fans are fans of the known world and Mistara. And so was I. So I think there was definitely people, there was definitely a sense in which people were contributing to both fandoms, I think, at the same time. So, at the same time, yeah. 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 So, um, so it's the late 90s um, or mid 90s and, and you you have started gray um, gray talk the mailing list mm -hmm. and and you've got um, and you've got the some of some of the industry vets now joining in in with gray talk at what point um, does it move from an email list to something bigger like uh, AOL or, or text chat? I mean, late nineties, you started to get um, uh, instant messengers and, and uh, other, other things like that. Yeah. So within a year of the mailing list starting TSR had decided to form an online presence with AOL. And I would say, I think it was about January of, of uh, 95 that they had launched. And that was a, another huge uh, a boost to the community because you'd, you'd have people there who were more like um, TSR employees, current employees, interacting with fans. And <clears throat> they had created folders for all the settings, mm -hmm. including ones that had presumably been canceled. <laughs> and the Greyhawk forum was just fire. I mean, it was the most popular with the largest number of posts, the most creative fans. It was probably infectious for the uh, TSR employees who had to, you know, go in, wade in there and look at what people were saying. But Roger Moore was one of those guys and he would come in and he would bounce ideas off fans and vice versa. And and I was there too. And I, you know, I joined TS, uh, TSR AOL and I said, what screen name should I pick? And I said, oh, let's, let's see what's taken. And I said, how about Pluffett Smedger? <laughs> because it was an inside joke. I said, I know Greyhawk fans will get it. That's right. But but it's not that obvious. Um, so I snagged that, and I snagged a bunch of other uh, – at that time, AOL would let you have five screen names. So I said, I'm going I'm to take a couple of these Greyhawk screen names and uh, and join, join in the uh, conversation. And uh, – that next year, we started doing something that was fairly unique, which is to have a weekly conversation in a live chat with mm -hmm. other Greyhawk fans. And we would do those on Thursday nights on the AOL board uh, or whatever the software was for having those live chats. Mm -hmm. And we would start, uh, you know, really throwing around ideas in quick style fashion, you know, you know ping ponging essentially ideas with each other. Um, it wasn't a voice chat. It was still just a text chat. Text chat, right. Yeah, but it was real time, and we were getting feedback uh, from each other. And uh, one of the people who was on AOL at the time was named Steve Wilson. Steve Wilson, uh, who went by the username Tamerlane, hmm. had a relation had struck up a relationship with an old designer named Len Lakofka. <laughs> and Len... Uh, despite his reputation, he just actually loved engaging with fans. I mean, he was one of the most open of the old designers to just really sharing ideas and engaging with people. And he and Steve collaborated on this uh, timeline. And I think Steve then took this timeline and thought, I need a vehicle in which to you know, publish it. And so he invented the Orth Journal. 
Nice. So he was the he was the essentially the first editor of the first Earth Journal. And uh, through that process, uh, he became close to Roger Moore and some of the other designers and, and had helped them with some of their um, projects. And uh, of course, Eric was there on AOL too, mm-hmm. Eric Mona, and he also struck up relationships with these industry people and became something of a, a fact checker for them. You know, he he would uh, check their Greyhawk lore for errors and make <laughs> suggestions. <laughs> and uh, uh, that's, that relationship grew to the point where, you know, when it came time to consider hiring more people to work on Greyhawk, when Greyhawk was revived. So between 95 and 97, right. you know, the, all the stuff was percolating. Fans were sharing material. Uh, TSR employees were listening to the feedback they were getting, and and I think you know it kind of inspired in them the desire to revive the setting. And it it probably was in no small small part to the fact that uh, uh, guys like uh, Peter and uh, Lisa Stevens, you know, they were fans, and so when they acquired TSR, they were willing to give Greyhawk another chance, and and even made it the you know the centerpiece of the new D and D campaign, at right. least the default setting. So that so, brought up huge opportunities. So how how so you it's the it's the mid mid late nineties and and TSR mm-hmm. um already purchased by Watsi or not? Uh, I can't. I yes. Don't know. Um, yes, I think. Put out, uh, put out the adventure. The adventure begins. And yes, that was already a Watsy product. That's already a Watsy product. So, so they put out with Roger Moore the, the adventure mm-hmm. begins and the two E um, players guide. How was that received by on uh, by the online community? So, I guess I should go back and say that uh, uh, even Carl Sargent's stuff didn't have universal acceptance by the Greyhawk community, and that mm-hmm. was large. That was in large part because of a schism between old fans. And new fans, you know, there was definitely right. a sense in which some fans, and I don't count my necessarily don't count myself among them, uh, but I have sympathies with their position, which is, you know, Gygax lost his company, right? Uh, it was his setting, and anything that came after it was definitely suspect. You know, mm-hmm. what were the intentions? You you had products like WG Seven, which looked like an obvious thumb in the eye to fans, and then you had other products like. You know gargoyles and child's play and right. puppets which just seemed like throwaway contributions nothing to do with real greyhawk um but right. then you had carl Sargent, who definitely took a took a, a serious effort at the setting and and really made it uh probably gave it some of the best you know most literary uh, contributions that it's ever had but he was also saddled with the greyhawk wars the plot of which was not popular with some fans, or at least they were nitpicking a lot of the details. Right. So into this enters Roger Moore, who had read a lot of these nitpicks and 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 some of the concerns. And so his Greyhawk 98 was in many ways a response to what he saw. And unfortunately, I think that they may have not been a great idea because then he took precipitous actions like the Flight of Fiends retcon, uh, there are other retcons in the Great Kingdom, which people who were fans of Sargent's material thought, oh, that wasn't necessary. You know, that was rather abrupt. So we never really got to experience Ibid the Undying. By the way, Ibid the Undying was then released, I think, in 95 or 96. 
right. as a download, which blew our minds because this was the first time that TSR really, you know, gave anything for free and, you know, really just said, here, fans, you wanted it, it's all yours. Um, and that was another boon to, I think, the fan, uh, you know, efforts to to contribute back to the setting through their own creations. So, and and, and it's such an it's it's such an awesome book to have released right. online. You, it's in such a state you don't you wonder why they didn't just release it or. Right. Why he didn't release it? You know, you 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 spent you get a cartographer to work on it and some artists for a week, and voila, it's done. <laughs> it's you it would think. Uh, I mean, it was already written and paid for, but I, I suspect that this you know flowed out from the you know the so-called printer trouble that they had in the mid '90s, where essentially their they were their creditors, which were these printers, were not allowing them to print anything unless they got paid or made arrangements. So. It was it was uh, Watsi buying out TSR, which kind of rescued them from this dilemma. And unfortunately, over the dying, the timing was terrible. It 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 was it was too uh, too early to be republished by Watsi, and too late for TSR to get it out. So that so um, and so now with. Um, it's it's 98 watts watts he's bought um tsr out you have uh roger moore's um books which bring the timeline uh up to 591 um and there's a bit of retconning going on there um, is. but you have new greyhawk material um you do. and um how quickly did that get released before the fans started pouring over it and in your in in gray talk and uh the online communities that you were part of uh you know literally a day i mean <laughs> fans are quick i mean it had a lot of callbacks to fans who had established a presence or a personality in those those heady days they they would get callbacks in the books and you know i i find that um some people look at Greyhawk and think that the the humor or the parodies, things like that, are the essence of the setting, and they want to continue that. I kind of look at that as something that only Gygax really gets to get away with, and everybody else should treat the setting very seriously as a real place right. uh, where, where the physics, the historical physics are are real. Um, but uh, I, what really happened with Roger Moore there, I'm not 100% sure because uh, Eric Mona uh, was consulting with him. He had helped. Uh, get a lot of those books edited and out, at least for for canon purposes. And uh, Steve Wilson was working with Roger Moore and uh, other people to get out a Greyhawk Gazetteer. It would be the the new setting book that would reset the foundation for the next, you know, ten years or whatever. Right. Um, and we had heard rumors about it, and we we were hopeful that it was going to be, you know, great and. Uh, hopefully not regurgitate too much of the past because that tends to be what Watsi does and TSR did before is they love to re-release material and maybe add a little tweak to it. But we wanted we wanted a lot more depth than, than right. what we were typically getting. And lo and behold, around 98, Eric Mona approaches a couple of us online mm -hmm. guys, sends us an email and says, 
I have the opportunity to work on the Greyhawk Gazetteer. Will you help me with it? <laughs> and I, I thought, of course, you know, I was writing a master's thesis at the time, but I was like, I am absolutely going to help on this because it's a, you know, once in a lifetime opportunity. And we're not sure what happened. I think either Roger Moore missed a deadline or he didn't feel like he was going to be able to do it in time, or maybe he had other opportunities and, and couldn't work on it now. But either way, it landed in Eric Mona's lap and he brought on a couple of us that he had worked with on various projects on the Orth Journal. We, uh, Eric and I had solicited some Dragon articles. Right. Uh, we had numerous phone discussions, uh, some, some that lasted eight, six to eight hours long, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> telling each other about our Greyhawk vision. So, and it was it was complimentary. Like we we tended to like the same kind of Greyhawk, and we also tended to like the same solutions to various problems. So uh, it was a natural fit, and and so was Fred Whining. So we got the uh, we got the job to do it, and it was uh, an amazing opportunity. Yeah, and so and um, so you, Eric Mona, you get you get the pride of place, the first name on the on the. On, yeah, on the, I gave that alphabetical order. <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, you, Eric Mona, Sean Reynolds, who I recognize from other material like. Um, mm -hmm uh the, the, the scarlet brotherhood that's the one i'm thinking of yep scarlet brotherhood and and, and the uh, slavers slavers yep mm -hmm. um and and then um frederick whining so mm -hmm. uh, of of this greyhawk living greyhawk gazetteer which um at what point did it stop being the greyhawk gazetteer and start being the living greyhawk gazetteer <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Matt, it was long after we turned it in. <laughs> so I could tell you a little bit about the process. Uh, um, you know, we were sent out contracts and a typical Watsi contract in those days would be, you know, one third up front, one third when you turned it in and one third when it was published. So you you had incentives to get to each of those milestones. Right. Mm -hmm. And Eric sent us um, a huge hand drawn map in a, in a big scroll tube so that we would annotate the new stuff we were adding to it and send it back. And then we divvied up the Flannis in such a way that people had thematic control over various regions. And so I claimed the Sheldemar Valley and the Great Kingdom. Fred got the Barbarians up north and the Baklunish. And then Eric got the Marklands and all the middle states mostly. And it, it actually was very complimentary because that was what Eric was into. He loved the novels. He right. liked Gygax's characters and Gygax's settings. So he was, you know, right there with the uh, city of Greyhawk and and the center of the Flannis. And uh, so we had established timelines that we would share with each other so that we were consistent. <laughs> uh, we had to, uh, the format was almost all, already set. Roger had filled in some stat blocks for the countries. And so we just had to riff off that and tweak it as we needed to. I did an analysis of the populations and increased them so in such a way that they reflected the total real population of humans, not just sort of a fighting males or you know something that was <clears throat> mostly uh, targeted at war gaming. Right. Um, and uh, it was originally going to be 
about 32 pages less. Oh. And so Eric went to bat and I was like, shrink the font. I mean, get it down to six point, whatever, <laughs> whatever it takes. We want to squeeze more Greyhawk material in there. And uh, what we were able to do is we were able to get the gods as another unit tacked on. And then they brought on Sean Rounds to do them. So we got the original page count just for the gazetteer and then got added the gods as as another chapter and 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 up the page count by 32. which is uh, a fantastic which is, it's a fantastic chapter it is uh, a fantastic chapter it couldn't you couldn't imagine launching a greyhawk product without a god and it's still like it in some of those it. gods it's it's, yeah. it's some of the only info we have it is because uh, eric who had combed the the canon for some of these more obscure gods made sure that we were getting everything that had come before in there. And some of them were quite obscure. Um, and, you know, there were other chapters proposed. There was chapters on artifacts and relics. There was chapters on beyond the Flannis, which I would have loved to have done because it could have helped not just retcon the, uh, you know, the uh, Dragon Annual map that is not popular as is. Um, <laughs> but it could also have, you know, established a little bit of the lore around the fringes of the planets, allowing DMs to kind of have jumping off points from uh, right. the known the known world. But uh, but yeah, that, that summer of 98, we were we were generating these entries one by one. And I, I mean, everyone had a little bit of a different focus. I like to use my entries in order to backfill all the lore since the twin cataclysms about a country up to its present, because I was like, this is going to be the only opportunity to get all that rich history in there. Yeah, right. Present events, you know, we were still setting it in 91, I mean, uh, 591. And so there wasn't really any necessary to update present events that much. You know, I thought, well, I'll, you know, there'll be future products. You know, I didn't want to languish too many words on that stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, Eric would, he would email us every other, every few days and try to, you know, rip a draft out of our hands and make sure we turn it in on time. And, you know, he, he really, uh, deserves all the credit for pulling that whole thing together because he, he kind of knew that if he took it on by himself, he probably wouldn't have finished it by, by when they wanted it. But he also picked people that he knew he could work with and would have a similar vision to him. So it's, it's really, uh a legacy of uh, Mona's uh, good intentions, I think, and smart planning. So let's thread the needle here. So we've talked about your work on with Eric on the Living Greyhawk Gazetteer. As you're writing that, mm -hmm. did the uh, online community, did you ever go to the online community, bounce ideas off them? Did the online community, besides the fact that you guys were all in the online community, did they influence the sh the final some of the shape or or the text of the lgg yeah i would say indirectly i mean we weren't sharing drafts or debates with the mm -hmm. online community at that time partly because uh it's possible for many people to have the same idea simultaneously and that could create unpleasantness if people thought that you know you had taken their idea and incorporated right. it into something without getting credit so we had you know, we had at that point four to five years worth of discussions in our heads about where the problems are in the setting, what questions need to be answered. And so we, we knew where the bodies were buried and where we had to dig things up. So largely, no, we didn't, we didn't really bounce things off the community. However, 
when the draft was done, we reached out and we found many people in the community who were willing to be readers and editors for the draft. And that was a really valuable contribution they made. Guys like Dennis Tetro um, mm-hmm. definitely uh, helped us out there. Um, and so once that happened and, and the draft was in Eric's hands, you know, he turned it in on our behalf and, and then there was quiet for months and months and months and months. We weren't sure when, when was it going to come out? And Eric, well, Eric told us, well, Roger Moore is editing it. And I thought that's strange. The guy who, who was assigned the project then turns around and becomes the editor of the project. So I thought, okay, well, hopefully it doesn't get changed too much. Um, and uh, little did we know what was happening behind the scenes. Eric has told these stories on um, Jay Scott's uh, Twitch stream. Right. And I recommend people go check those out. But Absolutely. we didn't know at the time that some people at Watsi were like, what is this? This is not <laughs> what we were thinking. We weren't expecting a mega you know, gazetteer. We were expecting something light, something just to get get fans just enough info to play the setting. And so at the same time that uh, this draft was being finished and polished off, they essentially edited down a 32-page version of it. Yes. And a lot of people confuse the two. I mean, they're online. They're listed uh, sometimes as one is called the D&D Gazetteer and one is called the Living Greyhawk Gazetteer. But, you know, there's sometimes confusion on which is which. And I've also heard some people confuse the fact that the Living Greyhawk Gazetteer is some somehow the summation of the Living Greyhawk campaign? No, it actually predates it and sets predates. the starting point for the Living right. Greyhawk campaign. Yeah, and it, it, I'm so th- thankful that they did publish this mega beast of a setting book mm-hmm. because here we are, um, 23 years later, by the publishing date. Checking my copy. Yep, twenty-three years later, um, and it's the it's the last uh, published setting guide. <laughs> um, um, and it's um, because it, you guys had no idea of the uh, of what rule set was it was going to be, and did you? No, we got um, we got photocopied drafts of the third edition rules very late in the process, like almost within weeks of having to turn it in. So essentially we looked it over. We thought, okay, well, let's tweak this guy and make him a sorcerer instead of a a magic user. You know, we had been using second edition conventions for ourselves throughout the process and then uh, just tweaked a few things to, and that's why the Living Greyhawk Gazetteer in some sense is timeless because it really is an edition heavy. It's so edition light that you can use it almost in any edition. And uh, we're probably lucky that that, happened because we then we might have been tempted to fill it with crunch and rules and stuff and waste precious right. space that we could have used on lore so and uh, uh for those of you listening if you don't have a copy of living greyhawk as you can get it on dm's guild or drive through rpg a, a pdf copy um i have a physical copy but i got mine on ebay um i have I got three authors' coffees, and I got a French version a few years later. <laughs> French, just you, yep. you. Um, so, Living Greyhawk um, Gazetteer gets published, and um, 
how do and the living greyhawk campaign i'm assuming shortly thereafter uh kicks off um how did the how did this what was the greyhawk online community like during this time period the the early 2000s third edition era uh living greyhawk campaign yeah, so I would say that by the late 90s, the idea of mailing lists was kind of petering out. It was becoming old technology, kind of passe. You had places like Ian World and Dragon's Foot forming. Right. And so I decided to take Grey Talk and turn it into a website. And around 2000, I started working on it and I created, uh, I used uh, some, some templates and things, pr very primitive stuff that existed at the time and created uh, Cannon Fire. And Cannon Fire, which, which is coined by Eric Mona, the title, uh, was an attempt to, uh, in some sense, to make sure that none, no material started to get lost anymore. Because even by the late 90s, there were a lot of fans who had set up like GeoCity sites right. or a lot of these other free, and, and they were very aggressive in being deleted if you kind of left them unattended. Right. And so we would have Greyhawk lore that was just disappearing already. And we we're like, right. well, that's terrible, you know? So uh, the idea of Cannon Fire would be that people could post in a central place. And, you know, as long as uh, <laughs> I'm alive, we'd commit to paying for it to be there as a repository. Um, and so the discussions moved from emailing lists to forums at that time. Right. And for, forums, of course, let you post images. They let you post uh, uh, tables and more structured content. And so we started to get articles about. So uh, things that might have gone to the Earth Journal started to be started to become posted as almost like blog posts right. to the website. And they would be, you know, one to five pages and and debate some issue or present some issue of Greyhawk lore. And that became very popular way of sharing. Um, so a lot of uh, people that we know now in the Greyhawk uh, community, like Anna and Mike and, and Alan, they were all posting there and sharing ideas with each other. And uh, we would run things called post fests where people would all try to post uh, articles on the same Greyhawk topic um, and sort of create some synergy that way. Um, and at the same time, Eric Mona was uh, working at the RPGA. Right. And he, he was trying to launch this Living Greyhawk campaign. Um, but, you know, the nature of the Living Greyhawk campaign was such that home DMs weren't really, in, didn't have a path or an invitation to kind of participate in that. Because if you weren't going to RPGA conventions, you really didn't have access to the modules right. or to the content they were creating. So you almost had these two parallel Greyhawk communities, you know, sort of an old school online regular community. And then these Living Greyhawk fans who were, thousands and really enthusiastic and creating tons of great material there's some crossover there for sure uh but um you know there was a sense in which you know there was all these avenues for getting your greyhawk material out there so people would join their triads and try to publish their material as as modules or gazetteers were being created for these different regions yeah some, and, of, them, some of them very nice the on wall very gazetteer. nice very nice. gazetteer is very nice um the, the thief, thief yeah. gazetteer is also great um the bone march gazetteer not so much <laughs> <laughs> well 
Well, you know, they were not, they didn't all have the same same resources. Let's put it that way. So right. it might not be fair to compare. But uh, Eric um, had helped set this up, and he had exempted certain areas from the Living Greyhawk campaign because he had intended for us to develop them in the pages of the Living Greyhawk Journal, which right. became like the the zine version of the Living Greyhawk campaign. And um, that uh, essentially became where we had initially dumped, dumped being not pejorative, I hope, a lot of the excess material from the Living Greyhawk acid chair that could not fit. Right. So there was uh, chapters on on Keoland lore. There was chapters on Z floor, right. the Great Kingdom, and other areas, uh, which we simply couldn't get into the Living Greyhawk Gazetteer. And better, rather than just tossing it by the wayside, Eric said, "Don't worry, we're going to save it. We're going to publish it as entries in this Living Greyhawk Journal." Right. And uh, initially, the first five issues, the first well six issues with the with the free one included in Dragon, were uh, standalone yeah. printed issues. And that was amazing for, for, for those uh, people who were able to get a copy of them. I think that's some of the best Greyhawk stuff that was put out at that time. And, uh, yeah. and, and then and, when, and especially uh, if people are listening and, and, and they haven't heard of the Living Greyhawk Journal, especially 5e fans, grab your Ghosts of Saltmarsh and, and go grab uh living greyhawk journal um i'm not sure which number it is but uh our guest here uh gary hollian wrote uh background for keeland and it's all of the lore that they probably should have put in their ghost of salt marsh book and did not <laughs> uh, well remember they don't have to read the old stuff anymore they're just going to wing it <laughs> right uh, but, but it's very it's a very helpful article if you want yeah. an, an expansion for your ghost of salt marsh campaign and want to uh develop more than just the little and uh, there's a ton of additional uh lore posted on cannon fire by various people too that i right. think really fleshes it out too um what was interesting in that period, it was a little, very dynamic. I mean, Eric was suddenly, he was in the RPGA, and then suddenly he's at Pezo. They formed a new company to publish Dragon and Dungeon. So the Living Greyhawk Journal got absorbed into those uh, publications. And so suddenly our, our stuff was appearing in Dragon and Dungeon as individual articles. Um, Did you write that, the Iron Gate? The Iron Gate? Um article or was that someone yes else? yes dennis and i co-authored that so That's eric had exempted iron gate it, it would not become a living greyhawk region because the idea was to do some massive effort there and really publish it as a as an as a setting for people to use in their home campaigns and of course as one does you think there's plenty of time and you you don't have to get around to it and you know at you know when we published living greyhawk as a chair we thought that there would be a series of books coming out about Greyhawk because it was the core of the setting and uh, a core of the rule setting and uh, that there was going to be a lot of interest in doing that. But it looked like Watsi thought not. And so we were thinking, you know, maybe a, bo a book on the cities of the Flannis covering right. a dozen or, or, or 
two of the cities there yeah. with maps and, just, and hooks. Just like and, they did with the Forgotten Realms. In the exactly, years. exactly. I mean, there's a great Forgotten Realms book um, published in second edition about the cities of, of I think, the uh, is it the Sword Coast or the, the Heartlands. Yeah. And, and, you know, if we did something like that for Greyhawk, I think it would be really well received. But um, we... In the end, a lot of that material gets recycled because I had started on it. And so you get things like the Spine Castle right up with its map. You right. get the very short Iron Gate right up. Um, and um, and the material that I've written for Monmurg and Relastra is, is going to come out pretty soon. <laughs> so uh, it's, you know, maybe 20 years overdue, but it's going to come out. So, uh, so at, at what point um does great uh gray talk pick back up after you've founded cannon fire yeah so i mean great talk was always kind of the the discussion forum right. for cannon fire so once the tsr aol presence had disappeared right uh we decided to move these discussions that we were having there onto a uh, technology called IRC, Internet okay. Relay Chat. Yep. And those chats, uh, very bare bones, but pretty reliable. They worked. You know, we would gather on Thursday nights uh, and people would just drop in all evening and discuss Greyhawk and shoot the breeze, <laughs> you know, have fun with each other. And uh, sometimes those would last, you know, until dawn. And we'd have Eric Mona there and... Uh, other people who had contributed and really was a, it was the precursor of what is now going on in places like discord. Right. That's right. Yeah. And, um, when, when was your, at what point did you decide to, to start the discord? Well, I guess we should go, there was another inflection point in 2008, I think, our listeners probably are aware of, which is that uh, Watsi decided to wrap up Living Greyhawk. That's right. <laughs> uh, they were going to release fourth edition and third edition and move on to Living Forgotten Realms. So that really orphaned a ton of people who are interested in Greyhawk who had previously had platforms in which to keep writing. Right. Uh, you know, you had uh, various triad uh, contributors like Creighton Broadhurst and Paul Luby and Stuart Kerrigan, who were producing great articles for Wizards' website, um, expanding the lore. And uh, it seemed like uh, Wizards really just didn't care anymore. I mean, they really, they even broke the URLs to this material. So you, you by by making an update and not even uh, updating the, uh, the location of the content. So you, you, it was harder to find. And so that and the, and the Wayback Machine doesn't hasn't always it's grabbed some of that stuff but not all of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, luckily we have some people who have collections and we could you know, one of the projects we we're going to do is try to you know, create a re repository for all this old stuff that you know, so it doesn't, you know, fall by the wayside or get lost and maybe we can find ways to um have them mirrored in various places so that there's a lot of backup and we'll they'll never disappear again. You need to feed but, it to you need to create a, a um your own like AI chat bot and its repository is, <laughs> right. <laughs> is all of this stuff. And you know, you well, Matt, we need questions 
And we need a chat box that has uh, Jason Zavoda's personality. That's <laughs> right. It'll, and, and, well, it'll just tell us just to use the folio and that's it. Um, but, <laughs> but, but throughout this entire time, things like uh, Cannon Fire were still, you know, receiving posts and right. people still sharing their ideas. The Orth Journal was still marching on issue after issue. Um, uh, you know, it was sort of a dark time between 08 and maybe 15, 16 when fifth edition uh, was launched and, um, you know, and, and, and it kind of coincided with a lot of people having families right. and starting to maybe not have as much free time. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, uh, I mean, you have to shout out at, uh, at this period, uh, Rick Miller, who was the editor of the Orth Journal and really turned it into a very polished product. I mean, he, he did his so-called uh, Tarask editions, which were, you know, easily the equal of things that were being published by, you know, real publishers. So we uh, ended up putting some articles in there that were intended for Dragon and Dungeon, which were drafts. And, and we, uh, uh, you know, solicited articles from Eric and we still got stuff from Lynn and other people. So it was, it was still a going concern. Uh, but, uh, by 15 and 16, uh, sort of new phenomenon started to appear, right? So we started to have dedicated chat clients like Discord appear. Right. Yep. And then we started to have things like Twitch and YouTube uh, really take off. And so uh, I can't remember what year it was, but I remember searching around and then running into a video, an interview of, of Anna Meyer. Mm by someone at the Greyhawk channel, um, yeah. name escapes me at the moment, but um, it was like a one hour interview with her. And I was just fascinated. I was like, I love hearing fan stories of, you know, how they got into the hobby, what, and, and there was about a half dozen of these interviews. And so I said, okay, I'm gonna bookmark this and keep following it. And suddenly uh, this, this venue called Legends and Lore pops up. And it's Anna and Mike Bridges yep. uh, talking Greyhawk uh, every week. And I thought, oh, my God, this is fantastic. So it really kind of rekindled my interest in doing stuff. I was like retouch uh, touching base with everybody. You know, I had kind of kept a uh, sort of a tepid hand on Ken and Far those years. And, you know, just watching it, trying to uh, make sure things didn't get broken uh, in, in the intervening years. But I wasn't really putting anything out because it was just – it didn't feel like there was much enthusiasm for that. Um, but things sure turned around during the COVID years when oh. it felt like everybody was at home itching to talk about Greyhawk. And yep. that's when, uh, you know, people suggested to me, why don't we start a Discord? And, uh, you know, I, I got online and I, of course, uh, Christopher Nolan, uh, Christoph Nolan, I'm sorry, yep. um, was on Canfire and he had taken over the Orchard and really, you know, took it up a notch. He had printed copies of it, and that was just amazing. I mean, he had he had sent me one in the mail, and I was like, "Wow, this is amazing! Fans can do this." Then, do we even need Watsi at that point? <laughs> you know, because um, it was just like, you know, publisher quality stuff. And yeah, uh, and so he had a uh, a burgeoning Discord too, and I said, "Okay, well, let's start one for Canfire and see if anybody's interested." And um, 
it sort of took off. And I think in large part due to the fact that people really were spending a lot of time at home and really wanted to get back to their old hobbies. And some of them were just empty nesters, you know, who had their kids had moved on to college and, and they, they, now, they now had free time to engage in their hobbies again. That's, that's, that's right. And, uh, that's how I find out. Uh, that's how I got hooked into Greyhawk. I, I found mm-hmm. the Discord communities. Uh, uh, Cannon Fire currently has 462 people offline and 170 people online. So there you go. There's like 600 people um, uh, who are users on uh, the Cannon Fire uh, Grey Talk. Um, that's that's and, right. And, and you have a Friday night. So this podcast was started for a specific reason. I love the Friday night gray chats. Mm. That, and I love legends and lore. What if yeah. we took the people who are talking on Friday night gray chat? And have a legends and lore style show, but a podcast that's only uh, forty-five minutes to an hour at the most. Something you can listen to on the go instead of sitting down and watching, or you know, missing because they talked. All these people are on the east coast and or on, uh, on the west coast, and I'm on the east coast, and and you know, time zones and all that stuff. And that's that was the birth of of Greycast. And, um, and I love it because you guys really really get deep into a topic. Uh, sometimes the chats and other streams can be a little superficial and move on really quickly from something, but I love the deep dives you guys do and 40, 40 minutes is just perfect. So I think long may the great cast go on. Well, uh, you know, I have, um, our, our, and we're getting people coming into the discords, um, mm-hmm. from, uh, from, listening to this podcast. So Gary, our time, uh, has, has, has waned here. And so tell us, um, where can we find you? Where can we find, um, the discord, uh, cannon fire, and, uh, maybe in a, in a minute to summarize how this Greyhawk online community has been, um, impactful in your, uh, in your life, in your Greyhawk, uh, life and how important it is and vital this, com- this, uh, community is for the setting. Yeah. And I think a lot, a large part of that goes back to the fact that I think that I, you know, genuinely consider a lot of the people I, I know online, my friends, uh, you know, they may not be the same kind of friends as a friend, as a friend you go to the movies with on a Saturday, but they're a friend where you get into these really nerdy conversations <laughs> where you're free to speculate and and uh you know free form dream about a place that doesn't exist but feels all the much all the more real for it and you know i think most of that discussion is happening on discord these days but i'd like to still um do something to revive the concept of of, of the long written uh idea the 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 idea that you, you know, put your put your Greyhawk idea down, edit it, polish it, and share it because it really has a um, 
better shelf life, let's put it that way, if, if it's written down. And so the Orth Journal is still a wonderful venue for putting stuff out like that. Yeah. We're trying to do a, a zine for Cannon Fire that's a little more rapid fire, uh, you know, publishes as soon as it's ready. Um, right. And we're going to uh, revive the website. We're going to, you know, reestablish it on a more modern code base so that the forums and and uh, social networking features actually work. Uh, that way, <laughs> you know, integrate with Twitter and Facebook. And there's thousands of Greyhawk fans on Facebook, for instance. And a lot of them don't interact with other fans that are in other social networks or other forums right. or, or sometimes not even aware they exist. So we have to do a better job, I think, of uh, calling uh, attention to each other That's right. and making sure that uh, this material is discoverable because uh, I love having these fifth edition fans, you know, oh, yeah. discover this material and say, wow, this is a, a different style of play and I, and I like it. And I, I want to incorporate it into my gaming life, you know, and, um, we're happy to have them. Absolutely. And it, it's especially helpful. Um, if you're trying to work out some, you're writing something down. You're working mm -hmm. something out for uh, your campaign or for a setting, or you're 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 um, you're trying to extrapolate upon things, and, and you and you you put something down written or bounce ideas around. Oh yeah, um, no, and, and they'll correct that, and they'll not in a mean spirited way, but it, right, they'll say um, you didn't remember this idea over here or did you can you well how about you incorporate exactly. this thing because this is pretty important and and that way and they do that because they love the setting and they want you to to put out the best one one of the things i'm most proud of over the years is encouraging people to write to develop their ideas uh and selfishly to help contribute to fill in the gaps in my own crayon right so when someone uh is a, ex a subject expert of an area of Greyhawk that you're not into so much. It's amazing to get that material for free and have it, you know, folded yeah. into your own campaign setting. But you're right. I mean, no one is an expert on everything, on especially uh, a setting that's so vast, has so much canon, and it has so much lore and and frankly, you know, conflicting ideas published in it. So, so a lot of the time, uh, we're bouncing ideas off each other and getting very positive feedback so may it long may it continue gary thank you for coming on graycast and hope to have you uh again on in the future uh and in the meantime people can find you over at uh, the cannon fire discord and on uh uh probably poking around the cannon fire uh, message boards absolutely uh, thank you for coming again and uh we will see you all again on another episode of Greycast. You've been listening to the Greycast podcast, where we explore the world of Greyhawk one podcast at a time. Mateus and I are excited to share our passion for the world of Greyhawk with each of you. We'll drop episodes every other Monday featuring all things Greyhawk. Please refer us to all your cool, nerdy, gray hockey and friends and allies, even your most hated enemies at the gate.
You can find our podcast on Spotify and be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at Graycast576 to keep up with Graycast. Until next time, remember, it's a dangerous business going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to.